Hi, welcome to the shallow dive on the Dafyomi. I hope you enjoy. Let's start from the Mishnah, Chazayinam and Aleph. Nidre Onsin. We're getting into Nidre Onsin. We mentioned before some of the four categories of Ndarim that are automatically nullified. So what would be a case of Nidre Onsin? A vow taken that was under duress, that something took place contrary to the means of the one who took the nether. Let's say a person would like to be a host and to impress upon his guest how much he wants to host, he says, if you don't eat by me, then there'll be a status of restriction. You won't be able to benefit from me. So it's a, a host that's threatening if the guest is not willing to be a guest. V'chalahu, oh, shechalab no, oh, she'ikvo nahar, and then the guest was unable to come because of some degree of ones. Not an absolute ones, but some degree of ones. Some hardship that prevented him from joining the host, either illness or inclement weather, swollen river, something like that, the host did not intend to create such a circumstance other than when the guest, with no duress at all, would have chosen not to be hosted. But with these circumstances that coming as a guest would be very challenging, he never intended to create any restrictions. That's an example of Nidre Onsin. Chalahu Hamadim. Rashi says also, if the, the host became sick, that also makes it impractical for the guest to come. It's not an Onis Gomor, like the other cases, but some hardship that prevents the guest from actually taking up the host on his offer. Let's see the Ram. Kilomar, the lab Onis Gomor. Even though we're not talking about something that absolutely precludes the guest from being hosted. That's a, an example. But in general, the principle is it doesn't have to be honest gamma. It doesn't have to be total duress beyond his control. Nonetheless, because the one who took the nede did not contemplate, did not intend whatsoever to restrict his assets on his friend, if he doesn't eat with him, 
Unless he doesn't come without any duress under a normal circumstance. So if there's no duress, and he doesn't come, then the host does intend to restrict his assets from being a source of benefit for his friend. But under circumstance where there's a little bit of duress, Kigon no, if his son got ill, and he needs to stay home to watch his son, take care of him. Motor, then there is no nether. The one who wants to be a host never intended to restrict his friend from benefiting from his properties under such circumstances. So there's no need to be matter nether, it's automatically not a nether because he never intended to restrict his friend from benefiting from his properties when there was some degree of onus preventing him from coming to be hosted. Let's see the Gemara. gavra Rashi says, There was a fellow that brought his documents, various documents that prove his rights in court, some financial instruments, whatever it might be, and for some reason, he needed to go home. The Omar says the Gemara, Ilo asino at losin Han He said, if he does not return within 30 days to the court to conclude the proceedings, then these documents to prove his merits should be nullified. He relinquishes any benefits that accrue by virtue of these documents. Unfortunately for him, Isnis, there was an onis, some duress, Veloasa, and he was unable to come to the court. So 30 days passed. Rashi says, He said to the court, as well as to the other litigant, if he doesn't come within 30 days back to court to conclude the proceedings, he's relinquishing his zhuyos, whatever benefits would be proven by these documents, and now he was onos. He was unable to come. What's the din? Amravuna Batil Zuchuse. He does in fact lose his rights. They're nullified. Amale Rava. Tamagaris Rabo. Anusu. Why do you say, Ravuna, that he loses his rights? Say he's onos. He wasn't able to come due to duress. And the general rule is that the all-merciful, as we find in the Torah, exempts from liability one who is under duress. As is written, 
And to the maiden, you should not do a thing. No punishment for Onus. So what Rava says, why don't you say the same thing here? He wanted to come back within 30 days. Something stopped him. But as much as Onus Rachmanapatre, as the Torah principle is that duress is a valid form of exemption from liability, say that he should not be required to forfeit whatever rights and benefits would accrue due to these documents, he had no choice. He was unable to come. He wasn't being lazy. He was unable to come. And if you'll say that death is different, let's see Rashi, in the case of the Torah, don't do anything to the maiden, she is under duress. There's no culpability. In a case where there's a, a capital concern, life and, life and death, there is where the Torah is merciful. Under the case of duress. But other cases that are not of life and death, like our case, maybe there's no exemption of Onus Rachmanapatre, that under duress, the Torah views an exemption from liability. That's the possibility that the Gemara brings a mission of Atna. Nidre on sin, Yirchaber Shahal Atzlo, Ukhalohu, O Shahalbino, O Shaikvanar, Rayla Nidronsin. Our Mishnah, our Mishnah proves that that's not the case. There's no life or death over here. It's just a matter of the would be guest retaining the right to benefit from. The would-be host's properties and if the would-be guest is unable to come due to some partial onis we don't say onis rachmanapatre but we, we don't say that the nether was made stem and if he didn't show up he's not the guest is not allowed to derive benefit from the host's properties we say that he was honest. There's some duress that prevented the guest from coming. And therefore, all bets are off. The vow is not valid. So there we seem to have an extension of the principle of honest Rahmanapatre. Duress creates an exemption. And there's no issue of Ketola here. That's not a life or death question. And according to Rava, who champions the idea, that this individual who made this declaration, he wants to nullify his rights in court should he not return within 30 days. Rava is the one who says, 
So according to Rava, why is this different from another Mishnah? If somebody, a husband, says to his wife, Behold, this is your bill of divorce from now. If I do not return from now until 12 months. So he's going away. He writes a bill of divorce. He says, this bill of divorce should be effective from now if I don't come back within 12 months. And within the 12 months he died. Behold, this is a valid bill of divorce. Am I? Why do we say that? Vaha minus isness. He obviously wasn't able to come back within 12 months. There's no greater onus than that. The guy died. He really couldn't come. So why don't you say onus patre, and it's not a good get. Say it was out of his control. He had duress. The ultimate duress. And he couldn't come. So therefore say it's not a good get. No. The Mishnah says it is a good get. Omri Dilma Shani Say perhaps there is different. Top of Chavzayim Abeis. Dihaviyoda Demis in the altar Havigam Aviyahiv Gita. Say that had he known that he would have died, then he would have just given her the get up front. Let's not forget, and this is important in Halach as well, that he said Me'asha, he said from now. He didn't say it should be chal from then, that the get should be effective in 12 months. He said from now. So he means business. And therefore, had he known that this duress would be coming, that he would die, then he would have given the get right away. Let's see Rashi. When he died within 12 months, even though he was forced by death to not return within 12 months, it is a good bill of divorce. And she's exempt from either Yibam or Chalitza. Not to mention that she can't marry a coin. She's divorced. The reason why it is a good bill of divorce, even though he died within the time and was under duress, not able to return, because of his initial intentions. continues Rashi, had he known that he would die within this 12 months, at the time that he made the condition, the altar, right away, he would have given the, the bill of divorce, from now. Therefore, it is a valid bill of divorce. And that was his intention. He, he fully intended it to be a, a get. And in, in the event that he's onus, had he known that, he would have given it right away. So therefore, even under duress, if he doesn't come back within 12 months, he wants it to be a valid bill of divorce. 
Bilgama Magni. But back to our case. That this fellow who brought these documents supporting his claims in court, that he has rights, certain assets, whatever it might be, had he known that something would come up preventing him from returning to the court within 30 days, he never would have said that. He just said that he's relinquishing his rights that come forth from these documents if he doesn't return within 30 days to show good faith that he really intends to return within 30 days. But he did not mean to make it effective even in the case of Anus. Had a a situation of duress come up, had he known from the beginning, he would never have said it. How is this different from the one that he said to them, If I don't return from now until 30 days, let it be a bill of divorce. Also, he came, tried to come, and the ferry to cross the river was not in order, not working. So he wasn't actually able to return. But he was saying, screaming across the river to these people, see that I have returned, see that I have returned. Meaning, don't consider it as though I have not returned. I was unable to cross the river. The ferry was not operative. And see that I'm trying to return. The only reason I haven't come is because I'm unable to. Shmuel says in such a case, it's not considered that he has returned. So even though he's trying to return and trying to prevent the bill of divorce from being effective, nonetheless, it's called that he did not return and therefore the bill of divorce is effective. Am I? Why is that the case? He had no choice. He wanted to come. He was unable to come. Why don't we say that in such a case, he didn't intend for the divorce to be effective? My answer is Dilma Unsa the Megalia Shiny. Perhaps a revealed form of duress is different. Migla Unse and the ferry being out of operation is a regular enough occurrence that he should have been concerned for it. It's something that can stop a person, but it's revealed. And therefore, he should have taken it into account and mention that explicitly if he wanted this ones to prevent the get from being chal, to prevent the bill of divorce from being effective. Let's see Rashi. Dilma unsa galishani. Perhaps a revealed ones, a revealed case of duress that he's unable to do what he wanted to do is different. And the ferry not being operational 
is a type of duress that is revealed. Sometimes it's just not there. The ferry does go back and forth, and it goes on trips, and it's not always to be relied upon at the time that you want it, so he should have considered that when he tried to return, should have considered that the ferry may not be available. Nonetheless, he did not make it tonight a stipulation. Since this is a type of ones he should have considered because he's aware of it at the beginning, so he should have stipulated had he wanted this factor to to play a role in whether the, the bill of divorce is effective or not, he should have said so. It's something that happens, he's aware of it, but a real onus that's not on his mind, the Alma, he and his father say that something came up that he really didn't contemplate, wasn't expected to consider, then that would be different. That's when he say, Onus Rachmona Patrick. Rav Huna, says Rashi, the Omar, Batlan's Chuse, corner of Huna that says that his rights, back to the court case, his rights are nullified. Am I? Why is that the case? Why don't we say that this is a case of Asmartalokanya? He really never intended to relinquish his rights and nullify them. He was just trying to say, I'm definitely coming back within 30 days. Why don't we say it's Asmartalokanya? that there's no binding transaction here or relinquishing over here. He never intended that. Like we said before, had he known that he wouldn't have come back, so he wouldn't have said this. So that being the case, why don't we say it's as though he hasn't said it and he should retain his rights. Why does Ravuna say he loses his rights? Shani Hacha, this case is different. Demitvesen Schuse. Rashi, Shani this case is different. In this case, it is effective. He has relinquished his rights. Rashi has a different word, Lebezdin. He has given over his rights to the court. It's as though is already collected. So this is not Asmarto. That's a general rule. Let's say when somebody is making a bet, that's normally not effective because of smachtelokanya. But if he puts his money down, so then 
We don't say Asmachta Lakani. He means it. So this is similar to that. He's, he's very serious about it. He's given over these documents. He didn't just say, I have these documents, but let them be nullified. But he, he gave it over. It's like it's collected. So we don't say Asmachta Lakani in this case. That's non, but we have a Mishnah. Mishapara Miktaschovo. Somebody who paid off part of his debt. Vihishlis Estaro. And he deposited his document with a third party. Omar and said, Im Mikan If I don't complete the full payment within 30 days, then give him the, the document. Meaning, essentially, that's like saying, nullify the first payment, the miktaschov that he paid, by giving the document to the creditor, it's saying that it's fully collectible. So he's saying if he doesn't pay up the entire amount within 30 days, then the whole sum should be collectible. And then, unfortunately for this borrower, the time came and he did not complete the payment. What's the Allah? What should this third party do? Rabbi Yossi Omer Yitain. Rabbi Yossi says, give it over. Give it to the creditor. As the borrower said, Rabbi Yudah Omer Lo Yitain. Rabbi Yudah disagrees, says, don't give it over. Rav Nachman, in the name of Rabba Baravua, in the name of Rav said, the halacha is not in accord with the opinion of Rabbi Yossi. Who says, in general, that such a declaration is effective. But this is different. To nullify his rights. Here he said to nullify his rights. And that's different. See Rashi. He placed the document in the hands of a third party who he trusted. And he said to him, If I don't pay up the debt from now until 30 days, give this loan document to the lender. And he will be able to collect the full sum, the full face value of what's written on the loan document, like at the beginning. He didn't pay up. Within the 30 days. Rabbi Yossi Omer Yitin. Rabbi Yossi says he's got to give Ashlish, this third party, Ashtar Malva. He's got to give the document to the lender. Even though it's a smarto, even though he didn't really mean it in a certain sense, he just meant to say he's going to try really hard to finish paying up. He intended to pay up within the 30 days. Nonetheless, the lender has acquired the document. 
Even though here the document was handed into the hands of a third party, similar to the documents being handed to the court, still it's a smart of Lokanya. Shani Hochar da Omar Levatlan Schuse. Shelo Yehebehen Manish. Zachomor Mitenlo Staro. Nonetheless, there's a difference between the the one who made the, the, the between our case over here uh, of a borrower when he's saying the, uh, that to give over the document that's different than the case of, of the, the original case of the court case where he says nullify any rights, any benefits that I have from these documents it's Rashi says it's more chomor, he's nullifying all of his rights if he doesn't return within 30 days. That is, is more emphatic and more effective than then give him back his loan document, which there is truth to that. There, there certainly is a loan document. Now it was partially paid up, but he'll allow him to collect the full amount, the full face value. That is is not as as great of a, of a gemiras das as the one who says that he wants to nullify any rights that he has from these documents altogether. That's there's a difference in degree of gemiras das of a full intention on the part of the the one who's making this declaration. The hilchasa. Asmarta Kanya. And the halacha is Asmarta Kanya. Says Rashi Babagab de Lo Matfis. Even though he does not hand it over the documents either to the court or a third party. The Hu de Lo Anis. And that is provided that there is no case of duress. The Hu de Kanamine Bebezdin Choshev. And that's provided that this was taking place. In a bezdin choshev, Rashi, who do lo anis banusa demucha leinchi ki had leel repaske mavara. Provided that he, there is no onis, who de kanomine, and provided that he has made a kenyan shaloyasuba that he will not back out. If he made a kenyan, they won't back out. So, that's it. Bebezin Choshev, what does it mean, Bezin Choshev? Shehei Momchel Rabim, an expert at large, a Bezdin that has the status of Mumchos and readily available to serve the public. You need all three factors. If you have one without the others, or any two out of three, then there will not be a full kniya, acquisition or relinquishing. The three factors being that there was no duress, and there was 
a symbolic act of Kenyon to solidify that he means business, the one who's making this declaration, and it's taking place in a Bezin Chosh of Momchal Rabim. If you have all three factors, then what he, what he says he means. And it'll go back. He'll, he'll have to give the, the star to the 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 shlish, the third party, will have to give the star back to the lender. Let's see the run. You cannot have even a partial ones. It would be the full ones, that's obvious. It means even the partial duress that makes it impractical, but not an absolute circumstance beyond his control. In a similar vein, he didn't mean to say that if he has to attend to his sick son, he's going to go out to spar in court. He meant barring some pressing need. We said another tonight is that the there's a symbolic act of Kenyan taking place and in Bezin Khashov. Kilomar Olim Ran explains what is the definition of Bezin Khashov. Rashi said Rabim. The Ran is saying they have the power Lafkuye Mamono to take away one's assets. So a powerful court that actually has muscle to it. Not like the Raman requires smicho. Like in fact, Rashi says Mumchal Rabbin. According to, to the Ran, it doesn't mean smicha. Even without smicha, bezin choshev means that it's a powerful bezin that has the ability to be mafkia moment, hefker bezin hefker. So that that level of court is is the context for this declaration being effective. Let's continue the next Mishnah. Nodrin Lahargin Lukhramin Ulamoksin Shehei Truma Shehi Truma Afalpishaina Truma. One can take a vow, this is another example, Nidre Onsin, that are automatically nullified. Rashi says Shuhorig al iske momen, one who murders over financial matters. If this thug is coming to kill him, he can make a vow, take a nether, alzeh shu shal truma, on these fruits, saying that they are truma. 
So if he's trying to dissuade this thug from taking these things, and this guy is willing to kill, so he's very from, apparently doesn't want to take Trumo, so he says, they're Trumo. This is an example of Nidre Onsen, where he's taking this vow to convey to this thug, the Hargan, the one who kills, for money. Don't take these fruits. They are truma, even though they're not truma. So he takes a vow to substantiate that claim that's included in Nidre Onsen, that are automatically nullified. This is a lower-level thug, a little more kind-hearted, that doesn't kill for money. He just strong-armed, but he's not willing to kill. And for tax collectors, he collects the taxes for the king. And he wants to take these fruits against his will. Even though they're not truma. He can take a vow, make a nether that they are shel truma, that these fruits are truma, in order that these people should not take them. And the Mishnah is going from a smaller Chiddush to a bigger Chiddush structure. It's more of a case of duress in the first case, then the second, and then the third. So it's less mechodesh, the first case, then the second, and the third is the biggest chiddush, lozu avzu. Not only this, even this, meaning there's first case where there's risk to his life, that's a greater ones, and more poshit, that that's nidre onsin. And the subsequent cases are less mechodesh meaning less anusin, and therefore uh, more mechodesh, that it is included in Nidre Onsin. Also, to take a neder, to say, to substantiate his claim that these fruits belong to the estate of the king, even though that's not true. So you get these guys off his back. Beshameh Omrim, Bechol Nodrin. Beshameh says in all cases, he can make a neder, top of Chafesamad Aleph, Chutz Bishvua. He cannot take a Shvua. Rashi, Shelo Yomar, Yasur Peres, Sheva Olam Alai, that the fruits of the world should be prohibited upon me. Bishvua, that's, a Shvua is affecting him as opposed to the object. He's creating a restriction on himself. If they are not Shaltrumo. So he can make a nether, but not a Shavua. That's what Beishamai says. The Ram says, A Shavua is more Chomer than a nether. The difference 
between the vow and the oath. Dechmira, it's more chomor. Dechsivba, lo inake. Sarah says you will not be clean. The severity of the false shvua that he he is uh, taking this oath is more severe than the neder, and therefore he's not allowed to take a shvua according to Beishamay. Beishel Omrim af b'shvua. Beishel says he can even take this oath, not just a vow, even an oath, meaning not just on the object but even on his person. To say a lie, Beishel says it doesn't make a difference. Beishamay Omrim lo yiftach lo beneder. Beishamay says he should not offer a neder. He shouldn't offer it unless these thugs demand it of him. So he can make his claim, say it's Trumo. That's That Beishamai doesn't mind, even though but he says to offer Shvu, he says don't offer Shvu unless they say, you swear? So he has to, if, if he is... Uh, is asked to substantiate it, so Beishamah will say he can offer a neder then, only after he's asked to substantiate it. So make a neder to prove that if he's lying, then he's going to suffer some consequence of his neder. On a, this restriction he's going to generate, if it's not true. And only then does Beishamah allow him to do that. It's hello Omrim, Ah, Yiftachlo. Yisrael says no. He can even offer it. Does not need to wait to be prompted. Yisrael Omrim. Ah, Masha'ena Madiro. Yisrael says even further. He can even go above and beyond what the listim request. Rashi. Let's see further in the Mishnah. Ketzad. How does this? Play out. Amar lo, mar konam ishti nenes li. As a substantiation of his claim that these fruits are either truma, they're tithe, tithe fruits, or it's beis hamelach, they're owned by the estate of the king. So if he takes a neder to say konam ishti nenes li, amar konam ishti ubanai nenen li. So if he adds on to their request for substantiation, so they say, if you if you really tell me the truth, then make a neder, restricting the benefit uh, of of your wife. She not be able to derive benefit from you. And he says, not only that, even my children, my wife and children, definitely telling the truth. But to take such a vow, that's going beyond what they're asking, Beishel says, that's okay. He's even allowed to do that. Beishamah says, no. The same way that he can't offer a neder, so he can only supply them with what they asked. They said, substantiate your claim by this neder concerning your wife. So he cannot gratuitously offer another extension of this proof for his children. And if he does, that netter is chal. Beishel says it's all mutter. 
the neder is not hal, neither for the wife or the children. The same way that he's allowed to offer the neder, so too he's allowed to offer more than what they asked. Without it being chal. Nidre onsen is not chal. Rashi. V'mashu madiro, b'vad yidor, v'lo b'dova acha k'mefarish. Kesar amar lo fulu, ishto materes lo, dahainu mashu madiro. Bonavasurin, dahainu mashu lo madiro. Veshamai says he can't offer a neder. To begin with, if they make a request, or I should say demand, that he substantiate his claim through a neder, according to Veshamai, he can only make a neder to that extent and not beyond. Let's see the Gemara. So the third case over here was a tax collector. Shmuel says that the law of the kingdom is the law. So what's going on over here? Rashi. And it should not be considered a nether under duress that should automatically be nullified. How could he take a nether to the tax collector in order to evade the tax of the kingdom. It's a legitimate tax. How could it be permitted for him to make such a nether to exempt himself? Since by the law he's required to give the tax. Omar Rav Chinano, Omar Rav Kano, Omar Shmuel, the Mochas She'ein Lo Kitzva. So we're talking about a tax collector who does not have a fixed amount. Rashi She'ein Lo Kitzva Shenot El Kol Masherot. So he just takes what he wants. So this is a tax collector that is not executing the taxes in an equitable manner based on the law. He's not just following the king's directive. It's not the law of the land. He's trying to squeeze whatever he can. The Ram says, Since that is the case, it's not considered legal. Rather, this is just, he's squeezing him. He's trying to extract his assets. Chamsanusa demoches lavdino. And the extraction of assets from a so-called tax collector, that is not legitimate. That's not a legal proceeding from the Torah's perspective. Taxes can be legitimately collected, but not in a way where the tax collector just takes whatever he can. Rabbi says we're talking about over here a tax collector that stands up on his own Rashi says, He's not actually appointed by the government. So he's, he's his own warlord over here, collecting taxes. So that's not Dinah Malchus Adino. The Ram says, Not at the command of the king. Because for the Tosfos, the Dafko of Malchus 
also says, where do we say the law of the land, of the government, is legally binding from a Torah perspective as well? That's talking about non-Jewish kings, more precisely, outside the land of Israel, as opposed to within the land of Israel. Why is that? Because the land is the king's. And he has the right to say to them, It's my land. And if you don't follow my rules and pay my taxes, then I will expel you from the realm. And the king has that right. The feudal system. Avo, the Malchi Israel, lo. But this is not the case by Jewish kings. Lefish Eretz Israel, because the land of Israel, Kol Israel, Shtafinba. All of Israel are partners in the land. So Jewish king has no right to say, get off my land, you're expelled from the realm. If you don't pay my tax, you can't expel them from their ancestral inheritance. That's theirs. So the Jewish king does not wield the same authority as a non-Jewish king over lands under his domain. And where we say that the law of the kingdom is law, if one person purchased this tax, that it's required to pay the tax, the tax farmer, the fact that it's a, a tax farmer does not bother the Ram as long as he is being appointed by the king and presuming that it's not just a free-for-all that he can collect whatever he wants, but there is some structure to what he can collect. So then the Jew is not allowed to swear to his friend. He adds Havero, which implies that we're talking about a Jewish tax collector who is this tax farmer. He, he purchased the right from the king to collect the tax. And that is clearly a feature brought in the Rambam, as well as the Rush. We'll take a look. An important factor. So he's not allowed to try and evade this tax by taking a Shvua or Neder. Because if it is legitimate, then he's got to pay the tax and can't get out of it. Let's see the rush. A Jew that purchased the right to collect the tax from the king. Also, it's prohibited to steal from him. How could the sages permit a thief 
to take a vow in order to steal from somebody who legitimately has a right to collect it. So it's talking about a case that's not legitimate. I love Dino. It's not the status of legally binding. The Dafka Bedova, when is it legitimate? When it is equal for all the members of the society, all the citizens are subject to the same rule. That's where the king has permission legally to collect a tax. And he does not have a right to collect in a manner that is not equal. To give a lower tax for this one and an increased tax for that one. So Tsarach Biur, what does the rush hold? Is the rush against a, a gradual tax that is based on income, something like that, like you have in the United States? Is he saying that's not actually legitimate? Or is he saying that that perhaps would be considered because everybody is subject to the same framework and the problem of would mean capriciously to just give his friends a tax break and increase the burden on others. The, the wording over here is not 100% clear if he's truly restricted to an even tax or does it just have to be something equitable that people know and is fair? Or since there's no limit to the tax, so the tax collector takes more than what the king has ordered, what the king desires, therefore the entire amount is considered gesel, it's entirely considered theft, the Raman writes the same idea, that although there is an amount that the king wants, the fact that there's extra collecting tarnishes the entire process and considers it's entirely considered gazelle. We don't say up until this threshold is kosher taxes and after that is illegitimate. No. If the process is tainted, then the entire amount is considered illegitimate. Not by the king's appointment, not, not with his das. So those type of mochsin, these type of tax collectors, are glorified thieves. And therefore, the Chachamim permitted taking these nadarim in order to evade such a false and illegitimate tax. Let's take a look at the tour. Quoting the Rosh and the Raman, that the tax collectors and the bandits are presumed to be thieves. The Cholmimonim Minagazel all of their money is considered to be ill-gotten, and it's prohibited to benefit from them. So this is a matter of, of debate. The tour says, differentiate between listen and mochsanim, between the, the bandits and the tax collectors. 
שלא אוסר אלא להחליף ממנו תוך תיבה זו, כל מה שיש בו הוא בחזקת גזל, לפי שנוטו יוסר מקצבו. But specifically from his, his collection box is considered to be gazel. What he has elsewhere, his assets that are not part of his, his business account, so that is not presumed to be from theft. And he continues, When we say this, that the tax collector is like a thief, a, a bandit, a self-appointed tax collector. Or even if he is appointed by the king, but it doesn't have a fixed sum. And as the classic tax farmers in ancient Rome goes to the highest bidder, and then the tax collectors squeeze from the populace whatever they can. But if the king decreed a specific amount that is known from each person, and he appointed a tax collector to collect this specific amount, if it is known that this tax collector is trustworthy, and he does not abuse his power to take anything more than what the king decreed, then he is not considered like a thief, like a, a bandit, because the law of the kingdom is law, and it is legitimate. Not only that, it's prohibited for a person to evade the tax. And if he evades the tax, he's the thief. He's the bandit. He's taking away the rightful due of the king. Whether he is a king that worships idolatry, whether he's a Jewish king. So if it's Dina Malchusadino and legitimate, and the one collecting is Namon, so not only would a person not be allowed to take a vow to get out of it, but one would not be allowed to get out of it for any reason. It itself would be considered Gezel. The evasion of the tax, that's a legitimate tax, itself is Gezel. Continuing in the Gemara, Shehein shel beis ha-melech, avapi shehein shel beis So this is a false claim on the part of the, the person trying to avoid giving over his wealth to either the Hargin, Chromin, or Moksin. He says, these properties are not mine, they belong to the king, even though they do not belong to the king. Hei nadar, how does he take this vow? Amar Rabbi Amram, Amar Rav, the fruits of the world should be prohibited upon me. If these fruits are not owned by the king. Even though Amar Yasru, Israelite called Peri Alma. Since he said they should be prohibited, so all the fruits of the world should be prohibited upon him. So, a stipulation, because they are not actually owned by the king, so he's got to qualify it. So the case is that he says, today. 
It should be prohibited for me today. Okay, so he's not going to have fruit today. If he says, all the fruits of the world will be prohibited for me today, if these fruits aren't actually owned by the estate of, of the king, so then the tax collector is going to laugh and say, okay, give it to me. That's not much of a proof. So, so you'll have some, some meat, some fish for lunch. You're not, not going to have fruits today. Fine. He's not going to buy it. He's going to take, he's going to take it. He's not going to accept this as a proof. Let's see the Rashi. Give me Velo Amar Milsa Darama Itzrule. Veome Yasra Yom, Tahainu Arama, Tahu Yoma Lachud Asanashi. There is an element of deception here that they'll only be prohibited for that day. And that's where the Nede is affected. If he said, today, these fruits of the world should be prohibited, so that's not going to be acceptable to the tax collector. He's going to scoff at this neder, this vow. He says, you think I should let you, let you go scot-free because of this vow? He hears that he made a vow in a manner that is clearly deceptive. Says that what kind of vow is that? You're trying to prove it? So you won't have fruits today. Obviously, this is not serious. And it's I'm collecting it, it's not the king. So the Gemara modifies He says in his heart today, but what he utters with his lips is just the, the fruits of the world should be prohibited to me. So the last part of the Nadir, the Haroma, the deceptive part. He just says in his heart, Even though the general rule is matters that are, words that are in the heart or matters that are in the heart are not considered like words, it's ineffective. If you mean it, say it. What you say is what you said, and we don't take into effect what you were thinking in your heart. So why over here do we say that there is a nether being chal only hayom, only for today, and not beyond, he said in a general sense without any qualifications. It's different in the context when he's under duress. Under duress, we don't say dvarim shablevin and dvarim. 